The Start On Demand. On demand. Patrick Line trade went down Saturday morning. Greg was fired up all weekend long and continued to be fired up this morning. You'll hear what he had to say. Speaking of being fired up, people went shopping on the weekend and social media was not happy about it and is predicting the apocalypse. We had our weekly visit with Bob Irving today. We also spoke with the Winnipeg Jets PA announcer, Jay Richardson from Power 97, and what it's like to do that job with an empty arena. And were you ever too cool for pants? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, who's back tomorrow. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. This is the Monday, January 25th podcast for the start. Mackling and McGarry, McNabb is off today, back tomorrow. Jeff Fortier and Master Control. I'm here. Greg's here. Fortier is uh, here. McNabb's absence, by the way, was planned. <laughs> oh, that's a really good point. We should probably <laughs> highlight that fact. Because Why, of, Brett? Because the fact that we're all here means none of us are holding the winning $60 million Lotto Max ticket. Oh, boy. One ticket in Winnipeg. Can you imagine the lawyers and the financial planners right now trying to find out who won the Lotto Max because those people are clearly going to be laying low for a little while, getting their ducks in a row before they come forward. Isn't that what's going on here, Brett? That's got to be what's happening. And it's funny how things change from when you're younger to as you get older, because if I was 23 years old and (laughs) thinking about just, just imagining how... I would proceed with winning that $60 million. When you're 23, uh, all I could think of is I want to buy the big house. I want a pool. I want to buy all the all the cars, take as many trips as I can. And now I that's what I think I would do. The very first thing I would do is I'd call my financial advisor, Fred, and say, okay, what do I do here? And then because I would want to map out a plan so that I can figure out how much of this can I share but still live a life of luxury that the winning the lottery provides one. So you're suggesting you would go from in your 20s printing off the lyrics to Nickelback's I Want to Be a Rock Star <laughs> and ticking everything off that they do in that song versus picking up the phone and calling your financial planner. Pretty Boy, much. things change in 20 years, don't they? They do, yeah. But you I mean, because I would... I would want to make sure that I don't go out and just blow it all. <laughs> which, because, could, you, which can be done. Yeah. I mean, because cause a $60 million jackpot for me would, it would actually be $20 million for me because I would split it three ways with my sister and my dad. Aww. Uh, so, I mean, but still, $20 million is a ton of money. I would just want to make sure that I've got enough for my future. Mm-hmm. I've got enough. Or how much can I like realistically share with people and how much can I set aside for just my own fun and frivolity? I so. like that. I sent out an open letter on Twitter on Saturday morning. I don't know if you saw it. No. It went something like this. <clears throat> Dear Manitoba millionaire <laughs> slash long lost relative. <laughs> 
I know we haven't spoken to one another in a long time, or, or perhaps never, but you are my absolute favorite aunt, uncle, cousin, friend of all time. I am so happy for both of us. <laughs> I'm checking my DMs regularly. Yeah. Nothing so Nothing far. So far. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell you how many people I texted because clearly getting a ticket wasn't as easy over the last several weeks as it has been and would usually be. Normally, I would probably have a ticket yeah. for that because the first time that the 50 million went in Manitoba, that was what, about 11, 12 years ago uh, when, uh, well, I grew up with the guy who won it. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't find out till two years later that that was the case. That's beside the point. But I remember Chris Reed, it was Chris Reed, right? He used to host the, uh, the weekend, wake, weekend up? wake up show and he would wake you up and, and, and bug you in the wee hours of That's the morning. Right. And I can remember him saying, uh, Manitoba, there's a winner. Somebody has won the $50 million and I happen to have a ticket. And so for an hour, I dreamed about what I would do with that money before I actually checked the numbers. <laughs> well, this weekend, no such dreaming took place because I didn't have a ticket. Yeah, the, I, I had to check my... It was weird checking my playnow.com because that's where I had bought my ticket. And I, I admit that as I was waiting for my account to load, I punched in my login info and I was just waiting to see if the balance up top said 60 million and four dollars because that's what I had in my account at that point <laughs> but no it just said four dollars uh, I didn't get I didn't even get a free play <laughs> on my ticket well a massive congratulations to whoever won I know this is going to be life altering for not only for you but friends family those friends and family you knew you, that, that you never knew you had yep. and uh, but I, I hope it ultimately brings happiness because there are all too many stories of this kind of money coming into one's life and it really turning things upside down and it being the end of it all. So I, I really, really hope that uh, that whoever won this $60 million is going to do all the right things with it for them and manage to keep some of who they are because this is, oh my gosh, this is going to be really, really life-changing. Be prepared for the letters you're going to get. Heartbreaking letters. Heard the stories. Mm -hmm. Man, people just... They pour out their hearts, right? They get desperate and they, they you know, can you help me out? Well, just be careful. Get somebody to open those letters for you. And uh, so that's one windfall, 60 million. Here's another interesting story that my dad actually pointed out about another windfall, not nearly as big, $85,000. But the way in which this money was found is just bonkers. The headline at globalnews.ca, Vancouver Value Village Workers Return $85,000 found in bag of donations. Come on. So this uh, was reported last week, a group of employees being praised for doing the right thing. They found $85,000 stashed away in a donation bag. And the pictures of the bills, like one of the $100 bills in here looks like it's 40 or 50 years old. Like, they, like straight cash? I didn't hear about this at all. Yeah, it's, it's a bag of cash by the looks of it. So I guess they were going through this woman's, like the, some family members were going through this woman's stuff because uh, I believe she had moved. And uh, so they were going through some of her stuff and they brought it to, to Value Village and they found this bag of cash. So they were able to, to figure out that who it came from and they returned it. So that is it. very commendable. Wow. I mean, yeah, let, let's just go with that. What a, what a fantastic 
uh, move. I, like, would you would you have any choice but to return it? Well, what would you? That's the thing. What if? What would you do if, like, let's say it's just you and a buddy working in the back, going through the door, <sighs> going through the stuff at a store like that, and then you find this big bag of cash. Clearly, they didn't know it was there. Like the people who dropped no, it off. No, they didn't do it on purpose. So it's not a test. Yeah, I had a five dollar bill. <laughs> There was a $5 bill here in the studio that I'm working out of. Yep. It was on the counter here for two weeks. Finally, I took a picture of it. I sent it out to everybody. I said, look, this $5 bill is sitting here. This is a massive, either this is just somebody's missing it or a massive social experiment. <laughs> I'm either passing or failing miserably in this uh, social experiment. So if it's your $5, please come and get it. Five more days passed, so it's it's in my wallet now. Oh, you you took it, you kept. It. Well, yeah, yeah. At, that, at that point, you you did you did your due diligence, and at I, some point, I think I did. Yeah, um, got to quickly mention. Of course, we got lots to talk about today regarding the Winnipeg Jets. It's six thirty-seven. What happened with them? Greg was fired up on Saturday morning. <laughs> Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, Saturday night, Sunday afternoon, Sunday night, and uh, Monday morning. Uh, so at 6.37, we're going to pick Greg's brain just a little bit because I'm curious to know what he has to say about the Patrick Line A trade. And we've got the sounds of the game coming up at 7.55. Of course, the Winnipeg Jets lost in a heartbreaker last <sighs> night, 4-3. Every second counts, apparently. And we also need to tell you, new contest alert Coming up at 7.37 today, it's Warm Up with On Time Furnace. We're giving away a new gas furnace from On Time Group. Fabulous. We're going to find our first qualifier today at 7.37, so make sure you're listening for details on how you can get involved in this because that's the only time you're going to get those details this morning. After that, we're instructed to lock it down. you got to be listening at 737 for what is going to be your code word. And uh, good timing as well for the uh, furnace because we do actually have an extreme cold warning in effect for a huge swath of south sort of central Manitoba for areas just north of Winnipeg, including Selkirk, all the way up to uh, Flin Flon. Going to be cold here in Winnipeg, but not quite extreme cold, at least not yet. And it, it's the, today's the anniversary, Greg. Patient zero. It's been a year. Can you believe it? Uh, no, I, I really cannot. One year since the first patient with the coronavirus uh, was that we didn't find out until the 28th, but it came, the, that person apparently came into Canada on the 25th of January. One year of coronavirus in Canada. We start this hour, and I know Greg is just frothing at the mouth. (sighs) Written a few things down. (laughs) That that kind of sounded like Silence of the Lambs. (laughs) (laughs) So he's got some things to say about what happened Saturday morning with the Winnipeg Jets. We're going to get to that in a moment. First, Global Skylar Peters has more on the Patrick Laine trade. The second pick in the 2016 NHL Draft. The Winnipeg Jets are proud to select. Columbus Blue Jackets are proud to select. From Tapra of the Finnish Elite League. From Cape Breton Screaming Eagles. Patrick Laine. Pierre Luc Dubois. There are two players forever linked, taken one after another, second and third overall in the 2016 NHL draft. And now, just four and a half years into their NHL careers, they're trading jerseys. 
The Winnipeg Jets acquired Pierre-Luc Dubois on Saturday in a trade that shook the hockey world, ending his tumultuous time in Columbus that culminated in his formal request for a trade. Patrick Laine never got to that point with the Winnipeg Jets, but this move didn't come out of nowhere. He's in his second contract year in three seasons, and this offseason, his agent said a trade could be beneficial for both sides. Though those names drew the headlines when this deal was announced, that was only half of it. The Jets shipped their own disgruntled forward, center Jack Roslovic, to his home city of Columbus in the deal and got a 2022 third-round draft pick in return. Winnipeg will also pay a quarter of Liney's salary this year, which is a relative wash compared to the reduced rate Dubois commands at $5 million per year. Following the trade, Jets GM Kevin Cheveldayoff elected to talk more about the player he was getting than the one he gave up and what lies ahead for Pierre-Luc Dubois. It's an opportunity, again, that, that we feel there's a better fit right now, you know, on a, on a positional standpoint, um, you know, within our organization, given the, you know, the elite wingers that we do have in our organization, and, uh, and, and obviously even a, a, another elite, uh, you know, forward coming in Cole Perfetti. Dubois believes the Jets have the skill and size to contend for the Stanley Cup right away. And he thinks he's going to fit right into that mold. With his dad coaching the Manitoba Moose, it's a homecoming of sorts for Dubois, who's ready to focus on hockey after making so many off-ice headlines already this season. To now know that that I'm going to be joining, um, you know, the Jets and, and their team and their staff is is a great feeling where I can just, um, you know, I can I can I can play hockey and you know there's no there's nothing else around and it's just um, trying to help the team win. As for Line A, both he and head coach Paul Maurice believe the partnership became a less than ideal fit. The opportunity going down the road going forward at the time, our you know, our, our driver, our number one center and, and Patrick, the hockey that they played together last year, it wasn't a natural fit for them. Um, that that might be it when he looked at, you know, where he would end up who he would play with. Whether it's in front of the whiteout in Winnipeg or the fifth line in Columbus, Line has a lot of goals in his future, and you can bet he'll have a certain date circled on his calendar. I'll, uh, I'll see them in the quarters next year and uh, hopefully, hopefully in the playoffs. Skyler Peters, Global News. So, Brett, it'll be years, if ever, before most of us learn exactly where and why things went wrong in the relationship between the Winnipeg Jets and Patrick Laine. This move hurts fans because fans invest in these young men. Their success is our success, right or wrong. It's in the name of Winnipeg. We are Winnipeg, the slogan says. Well, thousands of Manitobans take that very seriously. We buy jerseys, posters, hats that have players' names and numbers on them now Keep in mind, Patrick Liney didn't pick Winnipeg or the Jets. The Jets picked him to come and work and live at least most of the year in Winnipeg. And if you live here or were brought up here, you know that many Manitobans can have an inferiority complex. We often crave outside validation. On the flip side, we are fiercely loyal and proud. And just like a close-knit family, we can trash talk one another and where we live, but the moment anyone without the proper credentials, birth certificate or driver's license, talks trash about where we live, we are going to have an issue. In some places, when you hear a player wants to play elsewhere, the answer is fine, move along. See you when you come back in that other jersey, we'll have something special for you. Anyone remember Brockbusters t-shirts? Yes, I'm that old and, and sorry if you are as well. Brockbuster t-shirts and towels when the quarterback who wore blue and gold for a decade came back as a member of the Hamilton Tiger Cats. There was no standing ovation for Brock's years of service, including two awards as the best player in the league. Nope. 
You turned your back on us, Dieter, and, well, we sort of turned our back on him as well. The first time the Columbus Blue Jacks come to Winnipeg, assuming there are fans in the arena, what time of reception do you suppose Patrick Laine will receive? More like Dieter Brock or more like Timu Solani? More more to job satisfaction than money. Patrick Laine is going to make a ton of it, playing a boys game no matter where he does this. But here's what has me most mystified. How does a team who already has a couple strikes against it when it comes to taxation, climate, and perception with players around the league end up here? Hear me out really quick. Patrick Laine is from Finland. Cold has always been a part of life for the young man. One of his childhood idols is Timu Solani. As far as I know, Laine has very little interest in the nightlife some players crave. By all accounts, Patrick Laine likes hockey, video games, and ice cream. His best friend, Nikolai Ehlers, works here. One of his parents was here with him at all times for the first part of his career. He seemed like a Winnipegger. This seemed like, for the most part, a perfect fit. The Winnipeg Jets received an outstanding young player in Pierre-Luc Dubois. I suspect he'll become very popular here. But there's no doubt in my mind that forevermore, fans of the Winnipeg Jets will wonder how it got to this. I want to ask you, were you ever too too cool for ski pants? Just the other day, I think it was Friday, Global Winnipeg anchor Lisa Dutton was talking to Global Weather Specialist Peter Quinlan about the fact that she's got a 7th grader who's too cool for ski pants. And she was trying to find a way to convince him that it's okay, that it's cool to wear ski pants. And it made me laugh because I thought, I guess some things really don't change. Because when I was in school, you got to a certain point where kids would make fun of you if you wore ski pants. So then I would not wear my ski pants. And I remember sitting in Madame Auger's class in grade four at Ecole Centrale with my jeans just sopping wet because I refused to wear my ski pants over the lunch hour. And I was miserable the rest of the day. And I don't know why I would do this, but I did it the next day. I just, uh, my mom would yell at me, wear your ski pants. And I'd say, yeah, yeah, mom. And then I'd go to school. And as soon as I got to school, the ski pants would come off and they would never go back on. Mm -hmm. Stupid. Stupid. (laughs) So we got Cam Poitras here, Jeff Braun here, Jeff Forte. And uh, Forte, why don't we start with you? Were you ever too cool for ski pants or any of your other assorted winter gear? Oh, yeah, of course. But uh, may I just start off by saying my mom just bought me some ski pants? Really? (laughs) Yes. Where from? (laughs) Amazon. Because <laughs> I want to get some ski pants, but uh, well, the last time I looked at them, they, they can be quite expensive. So I don't know. I don't know where to get some. But I'll, I'll, anyway, that's research for another time. Yeah, but Amazon, and uh, they're coming on Tuesday. So so I'm 29. My mom still buys me ski pants. Well, that's great. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm quite excited. But uh, back, yeah, back when, you know, in grade 7, 12 years old, and, you know, I used to spike my hair so I'd be too cool for a toque. And oh, yeah. <laughs> I am telling you, my ears would be Freezing. Yep. I don't know why I ever did it. Why? What's like, I guess I wanted to look cool, but <laughs> nowadays I put on so much layers, you can't even see my, my face, just my eyes only poke out. You look like a ninja? Yep. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. I used to do that too, man. I would spike the hair and then I'd be standing outside waiting for a bus and my hair would be frozen solid because I had the gel in there. My hair would be frozen solid. My ears would be just blood red because they're so cold. My dad would say, why don't you just fix your hair when you get there? Oh, stop it, dad. Stop it with your logic. (laughs) You (laughs) You don't don't know anything. You don't understand, dad. (laughs) Leave me alone. What do you know? (laughs) Poitras, what about you? 
Uh, oh, yeah. To- I mean, everybody, I think, did this. Like, uh, if you wore a neck warmer or a scarf, you were a total dweeb and you got made fun of for it. <laughs> and uh, I, like, and I, I, I always wear long johns now, especially in, in the winter. I don't like having cold legs. But if you went into the gym class and you had to change for gym and you were wearing long johns on, you had everybody staring at you and that was it. You were going to get picked on for the rest of the day at least. Uh, so I don't, it's just like one of those weird things about kids. I don't know why it is. Everybody, it's like everybody went through the same thing. It's like, you gotta, for some reason, be like really, really cold to be cool. Um, I remember kids at school, they were just like wearing a, a, a jean jacket and that's it outside, uh, you know, smoking across the street <laughs> <laughs> and it's sitting there puffing like, you know, not even wearing mitts and stuff. It's like, oh, you look like a bunch of idiots. But at the time, man, you thought you looked cool. Those were the days. Yeah. I don't, I just, I don't get it. It's like, why is this a universal thing that kids make fun of other kids for, for gearing up for winter? Although I find it shocking like so you hate wearing socks but you like wearing long Look, underwear oh yeah. good oh. call good catch McGarry well yes I do hate socks uh I I, uh, I you know I, there's not really any logical explanation for that uh, McGarry but uh, it's just <laughs> that I I hate having my feet covered like I'm wearing thermal socks right now because I, I walk to work so I and I'm wearing my boots so my my feet are really really warm and cozy right now which kind of drives me nuts I, you walk to work yeah in the morning yeah I, I I park in a certain place. I'm not letting anybody know because it's it's free parking and I can. <laughs> it's a secret I, spot because I don't want anyone else to start piling in there. But uh, I got it <laughs> all figured Winnipeg-er. out. Yeah, I got it all figured out. And Ice just, fishing yeah. and parking. I'm not telling you. <laughs> <laughs> it's a quick 20 minute walk. So yeah, I got my thermal socks on, which are driving me nuts. I wish I was barefoot right now, but alas. Okay, Jeff Braun, what about you? Well, firstly, I'd like to say I'm glad I'm working at home if Cam's going to be walking around barefoot on some sort of a regular basis. <laughs> well, just get but... ready, Bron. I'm waiting for you to come back. <laughs> uh, no, it's the same story with me, and it's the same story with kids today. Uh, my girlfriend and her kids were like out at a cabin in the middle of the woods with no one around a couple of weeks ago, and the teenage girl, we went for a walk, and she wouldn't do up her coat. And I was like, <laughs> why don't you do up her coat? And her mom turned to me and said, because she might run into somebody from school. And it was, we were in the woods. So uh, <laughs> kids are the same today as they've always been. I, don't, I just don't think anything's going to change. I don't know what it is either. But, yeah, I was right with you guys just standing in the freezing cold waiting for a bus without a toque on my head for some reason. And, and now I, I, I put on a toque to walk 10 feet outside to take the garbage out. Just, <laughs> I won't step outside with bare ears between October and March. There's just no way. So we'd love to hear from you at 204-780-6868. Now, we don't have any pizza or anything associated with it uh, to bribe you to text us, but we would still welcome your stories at 204-780-6868. We love making you a part of the action on that. Were you ever too too cool for ski pants? And, like, what is the explanation? You'd think that this is something that would die. Like, kids are smarter now, are they not? They're supposed to be smarter now, but, Brett, we did it too. Even in our 20s, waiting in line to get into scandals or the big wankinay. Oh, the clubs were the, <laughs> the worst. Big, you, you didn't bring your coat in. But that's because the coat check would be full. Or you didn't want to pay for coat check. Or you didn't want to mess up your hair. I just wanted to look Come on, good. we did it. We did it. We did it in our 20s, too. <laughs> I, I did. I remember parking in the overflow at Zaxxon Jefferson running across the street. It's minus 30. <laughs> I'm standing there in my shiny shirt, minus 30, waiting in line for a half hour like an idiot. 
Mackling and McGarry McNabb back tomorrow on the subject of are you too too cool? Were you ever too cool for winter gear like ski pants? Text message 204-780-6868. Greg on uh, the 12-foot scarf. <laughs> Good morning. Did your mom ever take a 12-foot scarf and wrap it around the top of your head and around your neck? And all you had was a little crack to see out the front and it would freeze up. And you basically had this great big white beard of frozen ice. Then it would thaw. And when you come back home, the teacher would wrap it all back up and the wet part would be in your face. It was gross. <laughs> I do remember that. I do too. And I I'll, like, I would try to do it myself. No, that's a that's a two person job. Yeah, so it's it's almost sort of silly to to send someone off with that because <laughs> it's like you mom wraps you up when you go to school. Well, that's just a one time thing. You're, yeah. You come home and it's. A, I would try it. I, I I eventually just decided I hate scarves. It wasn't until in the last decade where I would start to wear scarves again, but only for dress. Like if I'm wearing a nice long coat, it's like, my, say it's minus two outside, then I'll wear a scarf. But. What's with the, I love scarves now, of course. Yeah. Uh, what's with the bl- bloody nose? Uh, I tripped on my scarf, you know, because they were <laughs> super long. And, you know, for all you people that were cool enough and lucky enough to have ski pants, I never had ski pants, Brett. Oh? You know what I had? No. A snowmobile suit. Oh. The one-piece snowmobile suit. And that was really not cool. And it was also a static electricity factory as well. So uh, (laughs) I thought people who had ski pants were cool. So I was two rungs down the ladder on the cool factor from grades one till four, I would say. So you can text us 204-780-6868. Were you ever too cool for ski pants? And a reminder, at 737, we're going to find our first qualifier for warm-up with on-time furnace. We're giving away a furnace from on-time group, and we are going to find our first qualifier today and give you your first code word that you need to know. So more details coming up in our next half hour. But right now, we just want to have a quick chat about shopping because this past weekend, Saturday, you were, this was the first weekend where we could go out and buy non-essential items again for the first time in a couple of months. And shopping malls were packed. Stores like Winners, Ikea were lined up by the dozens, if not hundreds. And of course, as social media is wont to do when, uh, well, basically anything happens, people were mad on social media. Like, listen to this tweet. I, and I don't know who this person is. I can't remember. Don't even. I think I was just looking for Polo Park. I was trying to find pictures. Okay. This person says, you have the brain capacity of an effing plankton oh. if you went to Polo Park today. Why is that? That was on Saturday. What, why is that? Why is that the deduction there? Why is that your statement? Um, it's open. You're allowed to go. There are rules and regulations about how that's supposed to happen. Why are, people, why are people so worked up about this? I guess it was, I, I can't find a, an actual number, like a, a figure on how many people were in the mall at a given point. Uh, I saw some people su- suggesting like upwards of 1,500 people. And uh, that seems to go against the the 250. Because what, what's the attendance? It's 25% or 250 max? That's the way I understand it, Brett. So, uh, yeah, that, that makes you wonder, like, does that rule apply to the mall itself? Because pull, there, every store in that mall will have to adhere to 25%. But because Polo Park is housing a bunch of stores, it isn't mm. itself a store. 
Are they allowed to have more than 250 people in there? It's I don't an know. In, it's an indoor space. So I would suggest that that might be the rule. I suspect that Cadillac Fairview or whoever else might be running malls in the city either didn't ask, <laughs> don't ask, don't tell, and we'll find out that they had too many people in the mall or... They did find out that, yeah, because it's a common space, even though it's a private space, you would think, logically, that that 250 number would apply. I can only imagine that the big stores attached to the mall, like I was mentioning to you this morning at Hudson Bay at Polo Park, there's no way they would have had their mall doors open. They would have wanted to have have been self-contained to avoid any sort of issues with regard to capacity limitations for the mall overall, if there are such a thing. Sport check, probably the same thing too. Yeah, really good point. So I I guess we should put this on the list of questions uh, for Dr. Rusin later on today. Yeah, because I'm curious to know exactly, you know, how many people were in there. But another thing, and to be fair, this was... Super funny. Uh, Someone created a meme (laughs) regarding Polo Park, and uh, I'll just read it for you. (laughs) Come on down to Brian Pallister's Super Spreader Shopping Spree, Saturday, January 23rd at Polo Park Shopping Center. We're cutting prices like they're public sectors. (laughs) And it's a picture of Brian Brian Pallister's face has been superimposed on uh, somebody who's wearing a T-shirt that says, Grateful, Thankful, Blessed. And it says, uh, COVID-free, baby. We've loosened up restrictions so you can loosen up your wallet. Let's show our economy the love it deserves. All are welcome. Women, people of color, infidel atheists, the radical left, bald people. (laughs) (laughs) So that's funny. Right. But again, it's like this kind of goes to show the province cannot win. I agree with you. They cannot win no matter what they do. And if you don't, if you don't want to be at the mall, don't go to the mall. You don't want to go to Home Depot, don't go to Home Depot. I went shopping, and once again, everybody's idea. Now that we're out of the non-essential stuff, I'm not rushing out to buy stuff just for the sake of doing it and being out. But I determined that I needed a certain article of clothing for this coming week. I went to my favorite place to buy said article of clothing. And uh, they opened up at 11 o'clock. There was one person in line ahead of me. There was never any more than four or five people in a very large store. The staff was so thrilled to see customers again and had a little bit of a chat of what the last three months or so have been like uh, for the staff. They're just grateful to still have jobs and to be working. I was happy to put money in the economy, and I feel as though it was done super safely, super safely. And I'm somebody that is, I would say, on the scope uh, and the range of things uh, closer to extremely cautious than to the other side of the scale. So I I felt pretty comfortable with the way things were happening on Saturday, but I wasn't in one of those long lines at Ikea. And if you don't like the long line, don't get in it. Yeah. You don't want to be in the store. It's too crowded. Don't go in it. Yeah. There, there have been more, there's been more than one occasion where I've gone somewhere Looked at the lineup and thought, no, this is not worth it. Just not worth it. Uh, I've done it too. Mackling and McGarry, McNabb back tomorrow. The sounds of the game coming up at 7.55. But before that, 
all manner of texts at 204-780-6868 on a variety of topics, including, we, we talked about the Lottomax jackpot, the $60 million jackpot that went in Winnipeg. <laughs> but we also talked about how in Value Village in Vancouver, uh, some workers there going through a bag of donations found $85,000 cash that the people who brought it in, like they were going through this woman's stuff as she had moved. I think it was their aunt, and they brought in their, this bag of donations. Clearly did not see the cash. The workers found the cash and uh, tracked down the people who brought it in and returned the money. And we got a text on that. Sure did. And one of our listeners says this, My daughter found a bag containing a very large sum of money one year in the library at the U of M. What part of the uh, library? Was that the Elizabeth Defoe Library? You used to find a nice place to yeah. have a snooze, Brett? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Third floor? Third floor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, those coaches, you could kind of put them all together, right? Yeah, they're like a bunch of Ottomans that you would just... <laughs> put together and I turn it into a bed. I crave a nap right now. Uh, uh, Continuing with the text, she continued studying at that spot. Finally, after over an hour, a student showed up looking for it. A very large sum of money. I'd like to know how much. We think this was like some sort of a drug drop? Well, either that. Because that'd be a good spot to do that kind of thing in a library. There's all sorts of places to sort of, like that'd be a fun spot to play hide and seek. I didn't know you had such a devious mind, Brett McGarry. (laughs) I watch a lot of TV. (laughs) Fair enough. You're off the hook on on that. And then uh, the shopping texts, of course. Uh, Brett, you so aptly described the fact that social media wasn't very social when it came to judging those who were out and about shopping, even though restrictions were eased over the weekend, 12.01 Saturday morning to be precise. Uh, But not everybody's happy about it. Not everybody's worked up about it either. Yeah, Brad saying, yes, we've got to do everything cautiously, but people need to chill out a bit. We need to start getting back to normal somehow, and this is a start. Everyone just needs to be smart about it. I was out on the weekend. Yeah, Polo Park was busy, but uh, I was not forced to be there. Nobody was, and I think that's the point. And we have a text message from somebody who works at Polo Park, just another part, another angle on the situation, Brett. Uh, I think maybe some of us have forgotten our manners as it pertains to the way we treat folks in retail. Here's uh, our listener saying this. I work retail at Polo Park, and though Saturday wasn't too bad, Sunday people were just plain rude. Mm. Yes, we are open, but you still have to sanitize in each store. Yes, we are limited in capacity. Yes, we'll sanitize after each customer. We are doing extra to work in the conditions to open and to keep customers and ourselves safe. We do not need the customers being angry, yelling, and just generally trying to bully us because, quote, don't have to threaten us, really don't want to put up with the behavior from, quote, grown adults. In capital letters, Brett, be respectful. That's frustrating. That is so frustrating. Uh, I get it that, you know, we have been cooped up for a couple of months and we can't get out and shop, but a lot of of these people, I'm guessing, haven't been working for two, three months and they're excited, as you pointed out, Greg, the clerks that you saw at the store you visited were excited to see customers and help you out. Uh, Don't make (laughs) this experience for them miserable. Like they're happy to be back at work, but no one wants to be happy to go back. And like I I worked in, I've worked in malls too, and I don't know if it's something about shopping in a mall that 
that makes one cantankerous, especially at Christmas time. That's where where you would see the worst in people was uh, people who were Christmas shopping. Well, on that note, uh, one of our listeners said this, pointing to your experience. Where oh, Tim said this. I like you, Brett. Needed to get emergency uh, massage on the weekend, and on my way past Regent and Lage, the traffic was like the week before Christmas in normal years. It was nuts. And I get it. Like, look, if just because it was deemed non-essential doesn't mean you don't need it. Like, you couldn't buy socks. Couldn't buy socks. I mean, you could buy them curbside, but yes. for for like for me, that whole curbside thing—that's just a pain. Like, I'm not anything that I needed, uh, I could wait for it, uh, but I, I didn't have to go out. But if you need new clothes for your kids, or if you just want something for your home, like I, I want to get some. I would like to get some command strips, and I've been waiting to do that because I would imagine those are a non-essential item, although I hadn't really looked. I've, I haven't been to a Home Depot because I want to put up some, some of the artwork that you got me. I know I could just buy a box of nails, but I'd rather leave my apartment the way I found it so command strips allow you to hang things without damaging the wall. I suspect your landlord likes you very much. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> and uh, so I want to leave my apartment the way I found it. Uh, I thought about going out this weekend, but when I went on social media and saw that stores were lined up, I thought, I'll just wait. Sure. Yeah, I've waited this long, waiting a few extra days. But for some people, maybe if they didn't even need anything and just needed to get out of the house and do something different, if the province says it's okay, I really don't understand the problem. And just as long as those retailers are following the rules and making sure everybody who's there is following the rules. We asked the question about how many people were allowed to be in Polo Park, and one of our listeners, Jason, pointed out something. Maximum number for Polo Park would have to be uh, over 250 just with workers alone. Mm. So uh, we have put together a list of things that uh, we're proposing. We do not have final say on this. We have very little power around here, Brett McGarry, mm. but I have sent a note to our, what do you call Kim Lawson? Our news overlord. <laughs> yes. Uh, with a suggestion, <laughs> Kim, maybe please, pretty please on behalf of our loyal listeners, could we ask and get clarification? Does the 250 max apply to just shoppers? Does it apply? include the number of people working at that location and do facilities like Polo Park, like St. Vitale Mall, who clearly could have five or six thousand people inside. Do What sort of limitations is the 250 number, the number uh, on uh, those sorts of things? And getting back to the whole uh, notion of maybe just needing to get out, Brett, mm-hmm. one of our listeners said, I went to Walmart just after 6 a.m. on Saturday. Not too many people. I really, really needed new pants since I've gained weight since the pandemic started. Oh. <laughs> the COVID-19 because 19 is a thing. So you can text us 204-780-6868 on anything that we're discussing, including are you too cool, were you too cool for ski pants. Mackling and McGarry McNabb back tomorrow coming up after Global News at 9 o'clock. What is it like to be a PA announcer in an empty NHL arena? We will speak to Jay Richardson, who is the voice of the Winnipeg Jets, PA, and he's also the host of the Power Drive on our sibling station, Power 97. Just want to read a quick email here, Greg, before we bring on our next guest. This is from Todd, who says, heard you guys talking about how rude people were in stores at various malls over the weekend. 
I can only speak for myself, but I was simply grateful to be able to get back out to shop for a pair of sweatpants and a hockey stick. Being able to browse and wander around a mall was like getting out of jail. It was a liberating experience, to be honest. Most people I saw seemed to be enjoying it, too. It's very unfortunate that there were those who were rude to salespeople and clerks. Hopefully, they were in the minority. Have a great day. Best regards, Todd. To you as well, sir, and thank you for sharing that feedback. I dig that feedback as well. I know for a lot of people, shopping is a pastime. It's something they do. It's recreation. Mm -hmm. It's how they pass the time. So many people do the mall walking, and now that the weather has turned frigid, at least for a few days here, there's going to be a lot of people craving an opportunity to stretch your legs and go somewhere when uh, Kildonan Park and Assiniboine Park, the Forks, just a little too frigid. And speaking of cold, by the way, I just took a video and popped it on my uh, Instagram story, on my Instagram story, at Brett McGarry, if you want to follow me there. Uh, you can always count on an assortment of nonsense and banality. But uh, the city, just walking by the front desk, I look outside. It looks like the city is on fire right now. It's not on fire. It's just frozen. Yeah, I can see it over your shoulder there. And I always am blown away by the amount of evaporation, I guess it is, that comes from the power plant at HSC. That's such a massive smokestack. And I can see it from here in the camera, or I guess it's on the monitor in your camera. And there are a couple other places like that are just uh, obviously working hard just to keep everybody warm inside. Yeah, it actually looks even cooler from this side. So, yeah. It's cold, but it looks cool. And you know who usually goes for a walk every morning uh, is our next guest, our weekly visit with the one, the only, Bob Irving. Did you have the heated socks on today, Bob? I did, and the heated gloves, and uh, yeah, it was good. It was a nice, uh, refreshing walk. I left about 7 o'clock, got home at 7.45, and I wasn't cold at all. I, I've said this before, guys, and I don't mean to trivialize how cold it is, but if you dress properly and layer up, uh, you can deal with it. And that's what I do every morning when I get out of bed. Oh, boy, uh, Good for you, Bob. Hey, uh, we're speaking to one legend about another. In just a moment, we will discuss Tom Brady and the continued emergence of Patrick Mahomes. Is he a future legend? I suspect he is. But we need to start with a different Patrick, one without a C in the spelling of his name, the very same Patrick Liney we di we discussed seven days ago, Bob, yep. and what he showed in his first and what will forever be his only game of this season with the Winnipeg Jets. What do you think of the trade? Well, I was taken aback. I was aware of all the rumors. Everybody was. We'd heard them since the summer when Liney's agents apparently said that he might be better off elsewhere but i didn't think they would pull the trigger at this point although the rumblings became louder as last week uh, drew to an end you know patrick line is 22 years old he's a budding superstar he's the most popular player on the team with the fans and this had to be difficult for kevin shovel day off and I, I could i think i could see it in his the way he talked about the trade he looked really stressed this had to be a tough tough move for him to make and, and I'm not sure how it broke down between the Jets and Patrick Line, whether Line's agents used the trade talk as a ploy to force the Jets to play Line with Mark Shifley, or whether Line truly wanted to move on. And we don't know what was said in the conversation Line had with Kevin Chevaldeoff when he reported for training camp. Perhaps he said to the GM, look, I'm out of here. I'm not going to sign long-term. I want to be moved. And if that's the case, basically, Shevel Dayoff had no choice. 
to do that. And I'm, I don't know that that is the conversation they had, but if it is, uh, then, you know, it's hard to blame the GM for moving the player. And he got, in return, a player with tremendous upside, uh, one with uh, outstanding talent. He's never going to be the goal scorer of the team of Solani is, but Pierre-Luc Dubois uh, is big. He's 6'3", 220. He's a center. And Cheval Dayoff focused on that over and over and over again as he explained this trade, how the fact is that he's requ- acquiring a center. He talked about the salary cap and the problems they were going to have, uh, satisfying line A financially and then keeping under the cap. He talked a lot about analytics, which I've never heard him do before, quite as much as he did on this trade, and how the analytics and they're big in pro sports now, uh, were in Pierre-Luc Dubois' favor. Bottom line, as with all trades, you guys, we'll have to wait and see. Down the road, we'll be able to judge this. But uh, I don't know, Patrick Laine was popular. He was a sensational player. He, he could well be a generational goal scorer. And the fact that uh, the Jets had to move him or felt they had to move him, I think is unfortunate. Question of the day at cjob.com, brought to you by Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first, you'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace, 204-832-6243. Putting emotions aside, what do you think of the Patrick Laine, Pierre-Luc Dubois trade? And so far at cjob.com, we've got 58% say it's a good trade, and 31% say only time will tell. Uh, a bit closer of a race on Twitter, with 44% saying it's a good trade, and 37% say only time will tell, and the rest say Jets didn't get enough. Uh, Bob, over the weekend, I went to see uh, Rosario over at the, the Pure Escape. I needed a massage. I needed him to fix my back. And uh, he was uh, he was actually quite excited about the trade because he says with our goalie and now these four centers, he says that's pretty much untouchable in the league and all we, the Jets really need is a key defenseman and that's a Stanley Cup team. Is that a sentiment you would agree with? Well, to say it's a Stanley Cup team is perhaps a bit of a reach. I, I think it's a good club and there's no question they've strengthened themselves at, at center. Uh, nobody could argue against that. I'm curious to see what Pierre-Luc Dubois brings in terms of what he can contribute. I don't think he'll ever be a prolific scorer, although he had 61 points and 27 goals in his second year uh, in Columbus. So, yeah, I think a lot of fans understand the the center versus winger part of it and the fact that if you have strength down the middle, uh, your chances of having success as a team are, are better. And, of course, they do have a great goaltender, which sets them apart from a lot of other teams in the league. So, Again, we'll see. We'll see how it turns out. Here's what I know. The Jets are counting on Pierre-Luc Dubois having a long, productive career here, uh, and that will make this trade palatable. It, it's When the Jets traded Timu Solani, they got Chad Kilger and Oleg Tverdovsky in return. Ugh. Thanks for Ugh. the reminder, uh, Bob. But, you know, and that was a team, fans still lament that trade, and that's a team that was on their way to Arizona. That wasn't even a Winnipeg Jets decision. That was an Arizona Coyotes decision. They were picking, really, between who are they going to market the team around, Keith Kachuk or, or Timu Solani. You, you could argue that they picked the right guy for certain things, but picked the wrong guy long-term. I want to go back even further if we can really quick here Bob you mentioned the fans and the reaction to the fans you said Timu Solani's name in there and we all remember the welcome Timu got when he came back with the Anaheim Ducks when the when the Jets uh, played their first season back in the NHL back in 2011 and just what do you think like you know we've had in the past, Dieter Brock is uh, is one example on one side of the coin he gave everything to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers 
almost ten, a decade with the team. Two Shenley Awards, which was uh, the Outstanding Player Award back in the day, but couldn't get the team to the Grey Cup. But said some allegedly disparaging thing about this things about the cities on his way out the door on his way towards the door on his way out and then on the flip side you have players like Anders Hedberg and Ulf Nielsen who left Winnipeg for New York City and more money and those players almost 50 years later are still beloved in this community well, there's different circumstances, Greg, surrounding all of those. Tiba Solani never wanted to leave. He was angry when they traded him. Right. So, you know, he came back as a conquering hero every time. The, the, the fans blamed the team and the management on that one. Uh, Dieter Brock made noise because he wanted out. He didn't think he was getting paid enough. So eventually they, they traded him. Uh, and as years went by, the fans started to appreciate what he contributed while he was here. Patrick Laine apparently, apparently wanted out. And so I'm not sure he'll get the hero's welcome when he comes back that Timu Solani got. I think he'll he'll probably get a mixture of cheers and boos. That would be my guess anyway, although he never, ever said anything disparaging about Winnipeg. But the fact that he, according to his agent, that he wanted out will make him a bit of a an evil person in the eyes of some of the fans here. That would be interesting to see, though, how that how that turns out when he does return. Now, switching from the ice to the gridiron, Tom Brady, he's going to his 10th Super Bowl. The Bucks become the first NFL team to ever play in their home stadium in the big game. Um, were you surprised to see Tom Brady seal the deal and get back in? No, I wasn't surprised. I, I picked Green Bay to win the game. I thought playing at home they had a slightly better team. But uh, it, once again, it goes that you should never underestimate Tom Brady. And Brady wasn't great in the second half. He was very good in the first half and part of the third quarter. He threw three interceptions. All two of them were tips in the second half. Uh, but what he brought to Tampa Bay was leadership and confidence and belief that you could be a champion because that's what he is and he deserves enormous credit enormous credit for the fact that the buccaneers are now going to play in the super bowl in their home stadium what people are talking about in that game though brett is matt lafleur the coach of the packers kicking a field goal with just over two minutes left they're down by eight points they're on the eight yard line of tampa bay and instead of going for the touchdown and the two-point convert to tie it, he kicks a field goal. And, of course, he never got the ball back, which is the risk you run when you do that. So, as he said, well, you know, you do these things, and if they work out, great. If they don't, you get criticized. Uh, I know when, when he made the decision at the time, I, I was dumbfounded. I couldn't believe that he wasn't going to go for the touchdown at that point. Uh, and that will be talked about in Green Bay all winter long. But, yeah, here's Tom Brady and then Patrick Mahomes, the brilliant young quarterback of Kansas City who was – fantastic again yesterday 325 yards passing three touchdowns it's just a, a dream matchup in the super bowl kansas city and tampa bay mahomes versus brady in tampa bay can't wait for it but uh, in the nfl you have to wait two weeks till they <laughs> play the championship game <laughs> 13 days to get your uh, take on it and to get your prediction eventually bob so we'll wait till next week uh, to do that thanks for your time as always stay warm out there my friend okay you guys Bob Irving joining us live for our weekly Monday visit on 680 CJOB.
Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is a perfect song for this particular text, Greg, before we bring on our guest for this half hour. This is from Don. And uh, Forte, I wanted to get your feedback on this too. Don, because we asked the question, have you had any weird injuries during the pandemic? Like I hurt my back brushing my teeth and I heard of a woman who hurt her back brushing her hair. Well, Don, we asked the question, have you hurt yourself in weird ways? And Don said, well, actually the weirdest injuries I ever got were on stage. He says, when I was on stage playing bass, I broke a string mid-song. I yanked it over my head to change guitars and ended up hitting myself in the chin and knocked myself out cold. And then he says, come to think of it, most of my stupid injuries occurred on stage. I ripped out a hoop earring with a drumstick. <laughs> oh, no. I, oh. I hit myself in the family jewels with a drumstick. Oh, no. He tried a stick slam. Is that, uh, he says, send the stick flipping and catch it? Yeah, you hit it off the snare drum and it flips up in the air and then you catch it. Oh. Hey. Do you have any drumming injuries, Forche? I once smacked myself in the face uh, <laughs> when I was showing off in junior high, showing really? off in the drum kit and... I don't know, somehow I hit myself in the face. It was really embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> so, Don, thank you for sharing that. That's some very vivid imagery in just a handful of words at 204-780-6868. And, by the way, in our next half hour, we want to tell you about a really exciting book that is just available this week about Winnipeg's Exchange District. It's a new book that highlights Winnipeg's historic Chicago-style architecture. So, and I think they're actually sending us a copy of that book, Greg. So we might oh, have to, I cannot wait. We'd have to fight over that book. Oh, you mean they're just going to, they know there's three of us, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, we, <laughs> we, we have a copy to give away as well. Oh, so, uh, are you sure? Not, they, we made sure to mitigate that. They're going to mail their ah, copy of the book directly okay. to the winner. Fine, so yeah, fine, we fine. won't have that physical copy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Temptation. Here is the headline at theathletic.com. What it's like for NHLPA announcers to work in empty arenas. After taking a moment, then a deep breath, Jay Richardson exhaled and tried to explain how it normally feels to be the public address announcer at Bell MTS Place, which is traditionally home to both the Winnipeg Jets and perhaps the loudest crowd in hockey. Jay Richardson hosts the Power Drive on our sibling station, Power 97, and joins us bright and early. Is this uh, out of your comfort zone, Richardson, or what? No, I'm up around this time anyway. I'm a, I'm a productive guy, Greg. <laughs> I wasn't questioning that. Just... <laughs> why, why, okay, why, why are you bickering <laughs> when I say that? Like, I can say that, and it could be true. Well, you worked quite late last night. The Jets didn't get on the ice until 8 o'clock last night, so I'm imagining that you didn't get home until around midnight on Sunday, yeah. so I uh, appreciate you doing this. My pleasure. And can I just say with those guys with the drumsticks that uh, maybe they could consider taking up the tambourine instead? <laughs> Never. Oh, boy. Never. Uh oh. <laughs> You're a bass player, aren't you, Jay? <laughs> yeah. I don't, after listening to that, I'm not touching any instrument for the rest of my life. I'm too scared. Well, your instrument is your voice, and your voice oh, thank you. is, well, hey, dude, you are one of the very best, and Winnipeg uh, fans, I, I think, appreciate uh, how good they have it in Arena, because if you ever miss a game, which is very seldom, Twitter is alight as though uh, one of the star players isn't in the lineup. Where's Jay? Well, it's not to say when Jay's not here, you've gone to World Cup in Toronto, the World Cup of Hockey. You were recruited to do that. And, of course, you went to Finland as a part of that production team. 
when the Jets went a couple of years ago to play the Florida Panthers. So uh, you're an integral part of what goes on inside the arena, but you get really psyched up and hyped up. This is this is a, a, a cool adventure for you every regular season game at home, is it not? Well, yeah. I mean, how can you not celebrate a goal with 15,000 of the loudest, craziest people you've ever been around in your entire life and not have you know, a, a, a real powerful emotional response to the whole thing. So, I mean, yeah, I, de- I definitely get hyped up. Like you mentioned yesterday, you know, you're getting home from those games a little bit later and it's really difficult to fall asleep afterwards because you're just, I mean, you just, you just put yourself right out there. You just enjoyed like the most intense experience with all of those people and you get to be in some small way, you know, a part of that whole experience and that energy, and you just absolutely feel it radiating off of everybody. It's amazing. Yeah, so, I mean, part of your job is to pump up the crowd, but also the crowd is pumping you up, and it sort of can create, I imagine, this, like, upward spiral of uh, intensity, and now the arena's empty. So what's it like now? It's... um Boy, it's 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 difficult to describe. Um, you know, there's a big tying goal last night, and you know how crazy that place would have been. And you know, you you hear instead the uh, the print guys just clacking away on the keyboards. You know, completely unfazed by everything that's happening because no cheering in the press box. Um, and yeah, you just you you go out and you you do your goal read and, and the stuff you would normally do if there were people in the crowd and, you know, you try to replicate it as best you can. And you feel like, you know, I, I just, I feel like I'm doing it and, and I hope the players are enjoying it. I don't even know if they're aware that it's happening because they're pretty focused on the game, but you know, you feel almost like eh, I'm kind of a fraud right now. <laughs> like who am I, who am I doing this for? I, I mean, I guess you can hear it probably on the, on the, on the home broadcast. And maybe if you're watching on TV, you know, it feels a little bit more like something normal. I, I guess that's maybe the whole point of me being there is, you know, if I can provide some normalcy, I'm not overstating by any stretch, you know, what I what I do during the games. I know I'm a very small part of it, but if it can, like, help you feel a little bit more normal about all of it because it's definitely not normal times, then I guess that's the main part of my job. Well, I would suggest that that's a big part of it, Jay, just that comfort of hearing that that's part of the listening experience or the viewing experience is to to hear your voice and to have you call the goal and to announce it and who got the assists. And and quite often we hear that uh, in the background before we we hear it from the announcers, because you you're giving the official take on what's going down. And uh, sometimes there's question as to whether there's deflection on the play and then you know, you, you have the definitive voice. It's not your decision, although you, I'm sure, would like to have that decision once in a while. Like uh, with regard to that goal that was called back last night, that's a whole other conversation. But just that whole notion that, that you are sort of, you know, part of the furniture, but at the same time a very critical part of that furniture, it's, it's got to be remor- rewarding and humbling at the same time. Yeah, I had some uh, I had some problems back in uh, the end of what ultimately ended up being the end of last season, and, and had to miss a couple of games. And you know, I could feel you know the the, the, the appreciation from people. The, the, there was just an outpouring of of people. And you, you, I think furniture is a really good analogy. It's you know your couch is there, and you sit on your couch every day. 
and, and maybe if your couch wasn't there, it was replaced by something else. You'd be like, what happened to my couch? It's only in its absence that it's noticed, but I'll, I'll, I'll take it. I, I felt, I felt very, very, a lot of affection from, from Jets fans when I had to miss those few games. And it was, it was definitely very, very appreciated. And uh, I, I hold some of those messages very close to my heart. So I just, I guess I've never actually had a chance to say thank you. Uh, to the people who reached out when when I was away uh, back in in February and March, but uh, it did not go unnoticed. Jay, one really quick question from a listener: Is the crowd noise piped into the arena? So we hear crowd noise on the radio broadcast. Are they piping that into the building, or is that exclusively for broadcast? No, they they're piping it into the arena as well, and then that feed is going, uh, I guess, to uh, to radio and and television as well. Uh, it's it's weird. I haven't because I'm I'm in the arena. I don't get to hear what the balance uh, of the audio sounds like on on the broadcast as well. It's so strange too because I find myself you know you, you follow the play or whatever when you're watching the game and then you hear the crowd react to something sometimes and you're like oh is there like is there a little skirmish behind the play like is somebody like like are they slashing each other like and you look around to see what everybody's reacting to and I've done that a couple times and then I've gone you idiot it's somebody pressing a button there's nothing <laughs> happening why are you reacting. So I guess it goes to show just like how much, how many cues you get from, you know, the crowd watching the game and and you get hyper-focused on the puck and the play. And then there's stuff that's happening that you don't even notice, but the crowd notices and you like look around. So yeah, it's uh, it's, there's a, there's a touchpad. There's a very elaborate setup that they have there uh, to know, you know, when, when there's suddenly a rush down ice, they press a button and and there's always like a crowd murmur. And I don't want to give away all of the, the, the tools, tricks of the trade, mostly because, you know, it's such a weird job, too, because, you know, you do somebody does their first time at a job. And, and that's one thing. This is the first time this job has ever been done. So there's a very you know steep learning curve. Uh, but I think we're uh, we're starting to figure it out and get it right. And we're doing a great job. We're trying to anyway. Jay Richardson. He is the Winnipeg Jets PA announcer, and he's host of the Power Drive on Winnipeg's rock station, Power 97. Uh, Jay, we're looking forward to when we can actually go back into Bell MTS Place and watch a hockey game because you are such a huge part of the show that the Jets put on. Uh, Wouldn't be the same without you. So thanks for joining us this morning, man. Thanks, guys. I'm looking forward to it, too. I definitely miss the fans, and uh, I hope you guys are all staying safe. And, of course, as we mentioned, you can listen to Jay on the radio as well. He's an excellent broadcaster. And just as an aside, Greg, he's always been one of my favorite jocks on music radio because he tends to be kind of grumpy on the air sometimes. And uh, I don't say. And I like to be grumpy, too, so (laughs) I sort of relate. Are you kindred spirits? I like to think so. Yeah, Yeah, I'm a big fan of Jay Richardson. (laughs) I've got a lot of time for Jay. Yeah. You know, Mackling, one of the uh, the cool things of being up here on the 30th floor, uh, particularly from uh, the main studio, is we get to look down upon the Exchange District. And today it's even cooler, figuratively and literally, given at how cold it is and seeing all of the the plumes coming up from the as buildings work extra hard to, to keep things heated. But on the subject of the Exchange, now that the essential shopping items list is gone... Uh, one of the things you can walk into a store and buy again is a book. Mm-hmm. And we've got a great Winnipeg book to tell you about now. Oh, you're not kidding. The subject line on the email we got about this was, new book highlights Winnipeg's historic Chicago-style architecture. That's all it took. We showed it sold. 
<laughs> the name of the book is Treasures of Winnipeg's Historic Exchange by Winnipeg photographer George J. Mitchell. And heads up, we are going to give one of these beautiful books away at the end of the segment. Good morning, Mr. Mitchell. How are you this morning? Oh, very good. Thank you for having me on, Brett. Well, we're happy to to welcome you to the show. And, you know, it's funny. I think that uh, the Exchange District is one of those things that we maybe take it for granted that it's here and that, you know, all cities of Winnipeg size and age have a collection of buildings from the turn of the last century. Uh, that's just that's just not the case. That's exactly the point of the book, actually, that uh, there is an incredible event that happened here about 100 years ago, and we have built on that, and we should be celebrating and become aware of the... Um, the the great uh, uniqueness of our collection of not only buildings but um, the the excitement that was experienced during those times. I don't think it's appreciated by the average Winnipegger today, let alone Canadian. And I think the book tries to explain and expand on that. It was going to be the next New York or Paris for a period of time. That's how big the boom was. Uh, the population tripled. Within a 10-year period, the equivalent of 10 human rights museums, $350 million each today, was built in a two-year period. The city just just shot out of the ground, out of the mud of the prairies. We had the first steel uh, um, tower in Canada built, uh, the Union Bank on Main Street. We had the biggest bank vault in North America. We had so much money that they had to put the vault in first at the Bank of Montreal on Portage and Maine and subsequently build a building around it. We had the best materials in architecture, the best architects. For a period, we were the place to be. We attracted so much global attention and so much financing, and so many people poured in 3,500 in one day that we were the center of the universe as far as certainly North America was concerned. And if you're interested in entertainment and vaudeville, the theaters were just palatial. And the people that came in, uh, Charlie Chaplin, the Marx Brothers, Houdini, W.C. Fields, they not only came in to visit here, but they actually started their North American tours here. This was the experimental ground to see how well it would do because we had the money to, to, uh, to attract them. We had the audience with enough funds to uh, enjoy entertainment at the grandest level available. So this was the story that attracted me. It came slowly to me over the years of taking photos, but the more I got into it and researched it, the more I realized what a gem we have here in Winnipeg. Well, and before we talk more about the book, you, you say that things were, were great, that Winnipeg was booming. What happened to stop that? What, <laughs> what happened was World War One. Uh, the Panama Canal sort of changed the route for shipping grain. Up until that point, Winnipeg was actually shipping half and processing half of the grain sh uh, exported around the world. That's why the name exchange comes in from our grain exchange trade. So we had the slowing global economy, less investment, much less immigration during the uh, First World War. And we just slowly slipped into a period that was hard to extract, uh, extrapolate, get ourselves out of. Um, we had 
the depression that came in the 30s, and it wasn't until the Second World War we started to utilize the buildings in the exchange district for other purposes than the original warehousing and finance. And uh, slowly but surely, the exchange came back to life. It, it, it somehow escaped being uh, destroyed when major downtowns across Canada were being demolished. So when we got to almost the end of the 20th century, 1997, it was declared a heritage site. And it's intact now because of that. And it has become the cultural hub of Winnipeg. And as you know, our theater and our restaurant scene is so vibrant here. And it will come back to life. George, uh, just really quick, uh, with regard to to how those buildings stuck around, and I've always been under the impression that we sort of got lucky with regard to the exchange because Winnipeg in the in the 70s went through a little bit of an economic slowdown. There were plans to basically rip everything down from Main Street to the river. There were a grand vision for for uh, modern apartment buildings and, and other amenities, uh, even a pseudo-freeway along uh, the Red River. You can see the the model at the in the basement of the Centennial Concert Hall, if I'm not mistaken. To this day, it's still there was a vision of uh, Mayor Stephen Juba at the time. So did we luck out a little bit? And, and you know, there was the Amy Street steam plant. I remember the controversy about that when I was a little kid that, you know, if you shut that thing down, it's going to turn off the heat to all these old buildings that were steam heated at the time. It, it, it just really feels as though we lucked out here on a couple different fronts. We did with the uh, East Exchange where they were considering the construction of the freeway and so on. Though I believe the ideas were a bit too ambitious, Brett. I think that they, that was maybe a little bit of luck here, that we had a grander idea that the economy didn't support. So it didn't come to fruition. And, and for that reason and a number of others, uh, there, were, there was no requirement to demolish the buildings. We already had enough office space because of them. The warehouses are humongous inside. Um, and, and the in the West Exchange. So the demand for office space uh, was slower uh, in that period of time, and we were able to fulfill it with the buildings we, we had now. Of course, Richardson Building went up and 201 Porters and all the rest, but there was no real um, push to, to redevelop the Exchange District in a modern fashion. And because of that, like you say, we lucked out and we retain the complete 20 blocks with 150 buildings that are protected by law and that have been occupied almost all fully and now are under development for a residential project. So we're, we're very fortunate to have it here. And I think if you're there on a nice afternoon, a nice evening in summertime, you appreciate that there is a vibrancy right now that probably comes close to equaling what we had on the Main Street in the 1905 area when we were the fastest growing city in North America. Looking at some of the pictures in this book, and by the way, you're speaking with, or we're speaking with George J. Mitchell. He's a Winnipeg photographer. He is behind Treasures of Winnipeg's Historic Exchange, and you're listening to Mackling and McGarry, Brett McGarry with Greg Mackling. And I'm just looking at some of these pictures, George. Um, incredible, incredible pictures. Is there a neighborhood that's more photogenic than the Exchange District? 
Not in Winnipeg. <laughs> That's one of the reasons I went there. I started about 10 years ago and I kept updating the photos as new buildings were, not new buildings, but as new frontages were restored and what have you, and people and new events. The, the, the life of the exchange in the summer with the uh, fringe festivals and other festivals that, that take place there, it's just such a vibrant place. Um, that area attracted me 10 years ago it was my go-to place i could it was very dependable that there would always be something to photograph there and i made a point of entering the 20 block zone from different angles over that period and at different times of the day and every time i came in it was a new exploration uh, adventure for me and there was always something to point my camera at and find um some very unique uh elements the architecture came a little slower, actually, as I researched the banks and realized what money had been spent on marble, on bronze, on terracotta. I went exploring and looking specifically for those details, and that's what was captured in the book. And then getting inside those facilities was a challenge, too. And thanks to the CEO of Heritage Winnipeg, Cindy Tugwell, I was able to access the interiors, and that took me a few years to really complete that. So this book, can, you know, it, it, it's, the attractiveness changed over time from just being within the exchange and having the experience of the atmosphere to looking at specific incredible uh, uh, jewels of architecture that remain today. We have to mention Chicago before we let you go. Uh, Chicago famous for its architecture and to take an architecture cruise on the Chicago River is a sight to behold. And my kids uh, who are only 14, we did that a couple of years ago and they marveled at the, uh, at the incredible architecture. There's a connection there between Winnipeg and Chicago, isn't there, George? There is. Uh, when the banks in particular... And even the warehouses, because warehouses were built then as sort of a testimony to the owners. Most of them were privately owned. The the architecture was uh, going to was the preeminent uh, uh, way of advertising in the exchange, either your personal brand or the bank's brand, because banks were prohibited from advertising uh, in in media. So when you go to Chicago, that's where you find the great architects in our, our location as sort of a gateway to the West was similar to theirs. And our architectural style based on neoclassical and Romanesque uh, was fundamentally uh, similar to theirs. A lot of the architects in the States that designed the White House extensions and railway stations uh, and Chicago skyscrapers using this new steel technology they were hired in Winnipeg, and we spent just as much money per square foot uh, developing the buildings as they did in Chicago, except that they did it on a grander scale. So you have a mini Chicago here, and um, it's all intact in one area, which can be explored on foot very pleasantly. The name of the book is Treasures of Winnipeg's Historic Exchange by Winnipeg photographer George J. Mitchell. George, this has been incredible. Thank you so much for joining us to, to tell us about this. And great. thanks for doing this. This book uh, looks to be incredible. I, I really appreciate all the attention. and Anyone can find it in all the great bookstores here right now. All yeah. Right. Thank you very much, George J. Mitchell. I did check McNally Robinson, for example. They do have it in stock. Uh, but if you can get through right now at 204-780-6868 and be calling number six, you're going to win the book.
204-780-6868. Caller number six gets a copy of Treasures of Winnipeg's Historic Exchange by Winnipeg photographer George J. Mitchell. Did you look at some of these pictures, GMAC? It's incredible stuff. They're absolutely beautiful. They're stunning. And uh, it's just another example of Winnipeg's beauty at its finest. I know we're hard on it sometimes. Our our city, we're, we're, we're you know, malcontents at times. But boy, oh boy, we, we sometimes don't realize how special we have it here. And uh, a lot of us do realize how special it is here. So uh, thanks to George for capt- capturing it on such an incredible scale. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.